Chapter 14 Jonathan's scream roared over the yard. What is it? What is it? Rachel cried shrilly, running to the well. Jonathan was too horrified to reply, too horrified to move, too horrified to pull his eyes away from the gruesome sight before him. At the end of the well rope, sprawled over the bucket, was the body of his mother. Her skin was blue and bloated, her wet hair plastered against her skull and face, her soaked nightgown clung tightly to her lifeless form. No, 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 Jonathan's sobs wrenched his throat. Mama, Rachel whispered, Mama, why? Jonathan's father held on to the bucket with both hands. His eyes were shut. His lips moved in a silent prayer. No, no. Trying to turn his gaze away, Jonathan saw something. Something gripped tightly in his mother's closed fist. He reached down and pried open the cold, bloated fingers. Oh, Jonathan gasped when he saw it. A white cap with blue ribbons. Mama? Mama? Rachel repeated. She dropped to her knees in front of her mother and began to sob. Without a word, Jonathan helped Ezra lift Jane's body and set it down on the grass. Can that really be my mother? Jonathan asked through a blur of tears. Can that really be my mother? So cold? So still? He picked up his little sister and carried her, sobbing, into the house. There is no doubt in my mind now, Jonathan thought later. The Fear family is cursed. I did not want to believe it. But Papa has been right all along. The hair prickled on the back of his neck. In a flash, Jonathan suddenly understood. Delilah's strained sadness, her sudden desire to leave, to get away from the fears, it all fell into place like the pieces of a puzzle. Jonathan ran past where his father sat slumped at the table, his head buried in his hands, and out into the yard. Rachel's face appeared in her bedroom window. Where are you going? she called down to him. Jonathan did not answer her. Instead, he started to run. Glancing back, he saw Rachel following him, but he didn't stop to send her home. Jonathan ran down the road to the Wilson's farm. Delilah was in the yard, feeding the chickens. As he came into view, she dropped the sack of feed. He grabbed her hands and held them tight. Delilah, my love, he cried breathlessly. You must tell me. You must tell me your secret. She stared at him, startled. Rachel arrived, panting, holding her side from running so hard. Jonathan ignored her. He did not care who was there, who heard what he had asked. He had to know if he was right. He had to know now. I already know your secret, he told Delilah. Just tell me yourself. He gazed deeply into her brown eyes. Yes, she replied quietly. I can see it in your face, Jonathan. You know my terrible secret, don't you? She shut her eyes, a tear falling onto her cheek. I am a good, she confessed. Chapter 15 Jonathan stared at her. He opened his mouth to speak, but no sound came out. How can you be a good? Rachel demanded. I thought your name was Wilson. We changed your name, Delilah explained. We once lived in another town near Boston, but when word of the plague in Wickham reached our town, our neighbors drove us out. They had heard rumors that the goods were responsible for the plague, so they shunned us. We moved west, and father changed our name. We became the Wilsons. Jonathan suddenly felt dizzy. He rubbed his temples with his fingers. I wanted to tell you my name was good, Delilah said. I knew I should be honest, but I liked you both so much. I did not want to scare you away, and I thought that maybe, maybe there really was no curse. She paused and gazed at Jonathan. You did not believe in the curse, she said softly to him, and you were so smart and kind. 
I thought that if you did not believe in it, then it could not be true. I did not want to believe in it, Jonathan said. I wanted to be happy. A sad smile crossed Delilah's face. I am afraid we cannot deny it any longer, she whispered. There is a curse on your family, a curse on both of our families. She swallowed hard. There is only one way to stop it. Jonathan's heart pounded harder. There is a way to stop it, he demanded breathlessly, hardly daring to hope it was true. What is it? Delilah avoided his eyes. It involves some sacrifice, she said, blushing, on your part. I will do anything, Jonathan cried. Please, Delilah, tell me how to break the curse. She took a deep breath. The feuding families must unite. They must form an unshakable bond. How? Jonathan asked. Marriage, Delilah replied, still avoiding his eyes. A good and a fear must marry. But that is very simple, Rachel interrupted. You two can get married. Kneeling, Jonathan took Delilah's hand and kissed it joyfully. How can you call that a sacrifice, Delilah? I am already in love with you. You must know that by now. I love you so much that I would marry you even if it brought a new curse down on me and my family. Tears streamed down Delilah's cheeks. Jonathan, he stopped her. Please, Delilah, before you say another word, I must ask for your hand in marriage. She smiled through her tears and struggled to speak. I love you too, Jonathan, she replied softly. But I am afraid. What are you afraid of? he asked. You are not afraid of me, are you? No, I am not afraid of you. I am afraid of the curse. I am afraid that something could happen, something terrible, to stop our wedding. Nothing can stop me from marrying you, Jonathan declared, rising to his feet. And to make sure of that, we shall marry as soon as possible. Your father can marry us. He is a minister. He can do it today before anything can happen. Delilah's face lit up. Smiling, she wiped the tears from her cheeks. He is at the church right now. Oh, Jonathan, I am so happy. I can hardly believe this is happening. Jonathan smiled at her, but deep inside him a question still burned. Could this marriage really end the curse once and for all? Could that be possible? We will be sisters, Delilah, Rachel exclaimed. I will bear witness at the ceremony. Jonathan had almost forgotten his sister was there. No, Rachel, he ordered. Run home and stay with Papa. He will be wondering where you are now, and he must not find you here. Run home, please. Hurry. In the tiny clapboard church, Jonathan grips Delilah's hand. Her father, the Reverend Wilson, stood behind a simple altar, facing them, a warm black leather Bible in his hands. I, Jonathan, take thee, Delilah. Jonathan repeated the minister's words, hardly knowing what he said. His heart was racing. His only desire was to get safely through the ceremony, and then to hold his new wife in his arms. Now Delilah repeated the vows. Jonathan stole a glance at his beautiful bride. He only wished his mother was still alive to share this moment. The ceremony was nearly over. In moments I will be married, he thought, and the curse will be ended. The fears and the goods will be joined. The Reverend Wilson cleared his throat. If anyone knows of just cause, why these two should not be united in holy matrimony, let him speak now, or forever hold his peace. Silence. Then a startling crash. Spinning around, Jonathan saw that the doors of the small church had flown open. Silhouetted against the bright daylight outside, a man came into focus. What is that in his hand? Jonathan wondered, squinting into the bright rectangle of light. A rifle? Ezra, 
Stop at once, Ezra screamed. He burst into the church and strode up the aisle, rifle in hand. Rachel burst in behind him. Jonathan, I am sorry, she cried, her voice shrill with fear. Papa made me tell, I am sorry. The little girl tugged desperately at her father's arm, trying to hold him back. Ezra pushed his daughter roughly aside and continued down the aisle. His eyes narrowed on Jonathan, his features set in hard fury. Stop this wedding, he demanded. He stopped and raised the rifle to his shoulder. All goods must die. Jonathan felt his heart skip. Papa, no, he screamed. With a desperate cry, he dived toward his father and grabbed the gun, trying to take it from him. They struggled. Delilah raised her hands to her face and screamed. Traitor! Ezra snarled bitterly to his son. How could you do this to me? Papa, give me the gun, Jonathan demanded. The two men wrestled over it, their shoes scuffling over the wooden floorboards. Give it to me, Jonathan pleaded. He tugged hard and pulled the rifle free. As Jonathan staggered back with it, the rifle went off. Oh! Jonathan uttered a startled cry as a sound echoed through the tiny church. He heard a sharp cry and turned to the altar. Delilah stood as if suspended by wires, her features twisted in shock and horror. A red stain appeared on the front of her white dress. Jonathan stared helplessly as the stain darkened and spread. I've shot Delilah, he realized. Chapter 16 Delilah! Jonathan screamed her name in a choked voice he didn't recognize and let the rifle fall. Before he could run to her, Delilah's eyelids slid shut. She uttered a faint gasp and slumped to the floor. Jonathan dropped beside her. Delilah! Delilah! He called her name again and again, but he knew. She could not hear him now. The dark blood puddled beneath her white dress. Oh, Delilah! Jonathan sobbed, cradling her head in his arms. Behind him, Jonathan heard a click. He turned. Ezra had picked up the rifle, which he was now pointing at the minister's head. All goods will die, Ezra said calmly, hate burning in his eyes. The Reverend Wilson fell to his knees beside his daughter's lifeless body. Please, do not shoot me, he cried. Please. Jonathan gently laid Delilah's body on the floor and sat toward his father. Papa, please. Ezra leveled the rifle at Jonathan. Do not get in my way again, son, he growled, his voice hard and sharp as a steel blade. I am warning you. Jonathan said nothing. Ezra turned back to the minister. All goods will die, he repeated. Reverend Wilson clasped his hands together as if in prayer. Please, do not shoot me, he begged again. I am not a good. Your lies will not succeed with me, Ezra snapped. You cannot save yourself. My wife is dead because of you, and now you must pay the price. It is true. I swear to you, I am not a good. Delilah was not a good either. He turned to Jonathan and added, Jonathan, she lied to you. Chapter 17 What are you saying? Jonathan cried in disbelief. Do not listen to him, boy, Ezra urged coldly. He is only looking for a way to save himself. I am telling the truth, the minister insisted. It was all a trick, a fraud, I swear it. Jonathan ignored his father and the rifle. A trick, he repeated weakly, grabbing the front of Reverend Wilson's robe. A trick? I, I wanted Delilah to marry you, Jonathan, the minister sputtered, his eyes on Ezra's rifle. We are so poor, you see, and you were so well off. Delilah, 
She came home and told me the story of your feud with the goods. I had an idea. I saw a way we could use it to trick you into marrying her. To trick me, Jonathan murmured. I made her do it, the minister cried. I forced her to. He lowered his gaze to his daughter's body. He stared at it for a moment as if he just realized she was dead. Then, with a shudder, he pulled his eyes away. Delilah was a good girl at heart, Reverend Wilson muttered. A good girl. This is all nonsense, Ezra snarled. Prepare to die, good. I have waited so long, so long, all my life for this chance. You will not cheat me of my revenge with your desperate lies. Please, Papa, Jonathan begged, pushing the rifle aside. Let him speak. I forced Delilah to pretend that she was a good, Reverend Wilson confessed sadly. But I knew you would not marry her just because of that. So, she made you think your dead sister was haunting you. She made terrible screaming noises at night. Delilah filled your well bucket with chicken blood. She made a cap with blue ribbons on it, like the one she saw in the painting of your sister. And she climbed your rose trellis to appear in your windows at night. Ezra lowered the rifle. His face grew red and his jaw trembled as he listened. Delilah lured your mother outside with that blue ribboned cap. The minister continued in a quivering voice. She threw it into the well. Your mother leaned over to retrieve it, and she fell into the well. He swallowed hard. Delilah tried to help her, but she couldn't reach her. He stopped again. He was breathing noisily, his chest heaving under his dark robe. Why? Jonathan asked. Why did you make Delilah do all this? We had to frighten you, to make you desperate, answered the clergyman. So desperate, you would do anything to stop the horrors. So desperate, you would marry Delilah. We were so poor, you see. So poor. But I loved her, said Jonathan. I would have married her anyway. He dropped to his knees beside Delilah's dead body. Her mouth had fallen open, and a trickle of blood ran down her chin. Jonathan stared at the body as if it belonged to a stranger. The minister shuddered violently now. I know you cannot forgive me, he pleaded with Ezra, but please, please do not kill me. Ezra's face hung slack. The anger faded from his eyes. The rifle fell from his hands and clattered on the church floor. My wife, my daughter, he murmured, the curse. His face had become as pale as Delilah's. His thin lips barely moved as he whispered, the curse. The fears are truly cursed. His hands flew to his head and he uttered a sorrowful wail and tore at his graying hair. And then he ran from the church, screaming. Jonathan heard a hoarse whinny, then a piercing scream, and finally, a sickening crunch. Chapter 18 What was that? Jonathan cried, knowing the answer to his question. He ran outside. A small crowd had gathered around a horse and a wagon. Jonathan shouted, Papa, Papa, and pushed through the silent crowd. Papa, Jonathan cried, seeing Ezra sprawled on his back, a dark open wound in his side, blood puddling on the dirt street. Get the doctor, someone cried. This man has been trampled. Jonathan knelt beside his father. Ezra's eyes rolled around blindly for a second. Then they focused on Jonathan. Ezra lifted his hand and let it fall on the silver amulet. Take this, he whispered to Jonathan. He closed his eyes for a moment, gathering his strength. Jonathan. His voice grew weak. The power of the fears is in this amulet. You must wear it always. Use it. Use it to avenge my death. Ezra took one last shuddering breath. Then blood poured from his mouth. His eyes froze in a fixed and lifeless stare. 
"'Papa!' cried Jonathan. "'Papa!' Jonathan buried his face in his hands and sank deeply into his sorrow. "'So many people have died,' he thought. "'Abigail, Mama, Delilah, Papa, all because of this dreaded curse.' His father's strange silver pendant glinted in the sun. "'The curse dies with my father,' Jonathan thought. "'I will put an end to it here and now.' No minister would give Ezra a funeral or allow his body to be buried in a church cemetery. He had been insane, a murderer, Reverend Wilson had warned. So Jonathan had Ezra's body cremated. Now all that remained of Ezra was a jar of ashes. Rachel cried herself to sleep. Jonathan listened helplessly to her sobs, every cry torturing him. He sat by the hearth, waiting for her crying to stop. At last the house grew still, and he knew she was asleep. He took Ezra's ashes and poured them into an iron strongbox. Then he picked up the silver pendant. To Jonathan's surprise, the pendant grew hot in his hand. He saw flames, flames he thought would swallow him up. But the flames died as quickly as they had appeared, and the jeweled pendant cooled. Jonathan examined the pendant, feeling its weight against his palm. His father's last words echoed in his mind, Use it to avenge my death. No, thought Jonathan. No more revenge, no more feud, no more curse. I am sorry, Papa, he whispered, but I cannot let our family suffer any longer. There is still Rachel. He thought of his little sister, sleeping upstairs in her bedroom. She had already been through so much, but she might have a chance at happiness still. At least Jonathan hoped so. He would do everything in his power to make her happy. The first step, he decided, was to get rid of the pendant. He dropped it into the strong box. It landed softly on top of Ezra's ashes. Jonathan closed the heavy iron lid and locked it. Then he took a lantern from its hook by the hearth. He made his way out into the night. He knelt beneath the apple tree. With a spade, he began to dig up the moist earth. Bitter memories leapt to his mind as he worked under the tree. He tried to force them away as soon as they arose, but they kept coming back. He remembered drinking lemon water with Rachel and Delilah one hot day on that very spot. Delilah. He stopped digging and shoved the iron box in the hole. Then he scooped dirt back on top of the box. This is Papa's coffin, Jonathan thought. This shallow hole, his grave. This lonely, secret ceremony is his funeral. Papa and the cursed pendant will be buried here forever. Jonathan finished filling the hole and smoothed the dirt. He left nothing to mark the spot. It is done, Jonathan thought. He stood and wiped the dirt from his hands. That is the end of the horror. The curse is finished. The feud is over. The fears and the goods will suffer no more. Shadyside Village, 1900 Nora's entire body tensed as she listened. She held her breath as the footsteps in the hall came closer and closer to her room. She waited for them to stop at her door, but they passed by. She exhaled, then picked up her pen and began to write again. Jonathan Fear hoped he could bury the curse along with Ezra's ashes, she wrote. And it seems to be true. The evil stayed buried for one hundred years. For one hundred years the goods and the fears lived in peace. In fact, the feud was forgotten. Children grew up hearing none of the horrifying stories. They knew nothing of the curse upon the two families. But it is not easy to end a curse, Nora thought. Jonathan Fear's great-great-granddaughter innocently unleashed the evil once again. During that hundred years of sleep, the evil power had grown even stronger. Nora touched the pendant around her neck. Oh, she thought mournfully, if only it had stayed buried forever. Part 3 
Western Massachusetts, 1843. Chapter 19 It is too bad the old apple tree died, thought Elizabeth Fear. She was kneeling in her green gardening dress, digging with a trowel in the rich dark soil. Heavy leather gloves protected her hands. The apple tree had died, and her brother Simon had chopped it down. Now there was a bare spot in the backyard. Elizabeth thought it looked empty and a bit sad. But I will take care of that, she thought, adjusting her straw bonnet over her long dark hair. This flower garden will be even prettier than the old tree. I will fill it with pansies and snap dragons. As she worked, she hummed a tune her mother had tried to teach her on the piano. She stopped humming as her trowel hit something hard under the dirt. She lifted the trowel out of the dirt, then poked it into the earth again. There is something buried here, she thought. Maybe some kind of treasure. A voice inside her head told her it was most likely a root from the old dead tree, but she would soon find out. She dug around the hard spot, wiping the dirt away with her fingers. She tapped her trowel against it again. It clanged, metal against metal. A short while later, she pulled up a metal box. It had a heavy lock on it, but the box itself was so rusted the hinges had broken. Elizabeth, her mother called from the kitchen door. Come in and wash up. Supper is ready. Elizabeth called back. I will be there in a minute, mother. The rusty box fascinated her. What is inside, she wondered. Maybe it really is full of treasure. Carefully, she lifted the rusty lid and peered inside. A coarse gray dust covered the bottom of the box. Elizabeth removed her gardening gloves and dipped her fingers into the dust. She touched something solid and pulled it out. It was a round silver disc on a silver chain. A silver claw with three talons seemed to clutch the top of the disc. It was studded with four blue stones. On the back, Elizabeth saw the inscribed words, Dominatio per malum. Latin, Elizabeth thought, but she did not know what the words meant. Maybe Simon would know. What an odd necklace, she thought, but I like it. She stood up, necklace in hand, and ran inside. Her father, Samuel Fear, and her sister and brother, Kate and Simon, were already seated at the dining room table. It was a warm evening in late spring, but a fire burned in the old brick hearth. The house was very old. It had been in the Fear family for a hundred years. Samuel Fear and his family lived prosperously there. Go wash your hands, Elizabeth, said her mother, Catherine. She was a plump, pretty, round-faced woman with light brown hair piled on top of her head. Elizabeth poured fresh water into the wash basin and rinsed off her hands. Her mother set a platter of sliced turkey on the table, adding, I wish you would not stay out in the garden so late, Elizabeth. It leaves you no time to change your supper. I am sorry, mother, Elizabeth replied, returning to the table. She held up the silver disc. Look what I dug up, she said. Isn't it strange? Kate gave the pendant a dismissive glance and said, It is ugly? Kate was seventeen, a year older than Elizabeth. Her hair was a lighter shade of brown, and her eyes a lighter shade of blue than Elizabeth's. But they both had the same pale skin and full red lips. Their brother, Simon, who was eighteen, had a very tall, thin body with an angular face, thin lips, and black hair. His eyes, too, were black. Simon studied the pendant as Elizabeth dangled it before him. Where did you find it? he asked. In the backyard, where I was digging my new garden. It was buried under the old apple tree. Samuel Fear touched the amulet lightly. I have never seen anything like it, he said. I wonder what it was doing buried there. Someone must have buried it for a reason. Maybe it should stay buried, Kate choked. Elizabeth ignored her sister's comment. I like it, she said. I am going to wear it as a good luck charm. 
She draped the silver chain around her neck. Suddenly, her neck began to tingle. Elizabeth shuddered and closed her eyes. They burned. When she opened her eyes, the dining room was gone, and she was surrounded by fire. Hot flames licked at her long curls, at the hem of her dress. Fire singed her eyelashes. I feel faint, she thought. She shut her eyes again and prepared to be engulfed in flames.